The scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. And I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Thank you, Adam. It's great to see everybody today. Uh, We have our teens gone, I believe, to Las Cruces today on the Bible Bowl, and so if that section looks a little more empty, uh, uh, that's why. So there's a number of them who are gone. And speaking of Bible Bowl, ours is coming up March 7th, and Brad asked me to let you know that he's going to need about 70 homes this time. So there's a lot of kids who are coming, a lot of kids have signed up, and uh, so there are sign-up sheets on the foyer and the Welcome Center, and so if you're able to help with that, before he begs, he would appreciate that, because if you don't, you'll be getting the call of, uh, I need to put some people on your front lawn. So also to make cookies and things like that and helpers during the event and things. So this is a big deal. We have several, several kids, several hundred kids who come for this, and uh, it's always a great time. Um, so the passage we're looking at today, we're going to talk a little bit about ordinary people. I don't know if you feel like you're an ordinary person or if you feel like you're exceptional. So, how many exceptional people do we have here today? Okay, good. I'm glad you guys are here. So, probably about 15 exceptional people. This sermon is for the rest of us. There were lots of problems in the Corinthian church, and as you look at the things that happened for them and with them, they began to divide, and they began to say, well, I like this person better than that person. And uh, so they divided over preachers, they divided over practices, they divided over different things, and it was just one argument after another as you read the book. Is Paul right? Is Apollos right? And Really, neither one of those are the answer. It should be Jesus who's at the middle. And so he talks here a little bit about the the fact that, you know, he didn't want to be their choice either. And so as Paul writes this, he says, I want you to think about where you are. Um, He says there's two forces in the world. One is the smart people, the wise people. The other is miracles or power. How do you force something. How can I get this great thing from God? And some people want to see the miracle of God, and if they could see a miracle, they would believe. 
other people, it's not so much the miracle, it's the wisdom, it's the philosophy. And so if they could understand the wisdom or the philosophy, then that was what makes sense to them. And so then they would be fine. And really what Paul does is he comes and he says, you know, Jesus is both of those. He is the wisdom of God. He is the, the power of God. And so I think this happens to us today sometimes. We still look for smart people, education, technology. That's what's going to save the world, right? Where people look for, you know what? The United States is always right. We have the biggest army. We have the most force. We have the greatest influence and threat. So therefore, we're always right because after all, the person with the most force is the one who's right. And Paul says, no, neither one of those are true. He says, we preach Christ. He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. And so as you look at this, he says, I want you to think about where you came from. And as he writes to Corinth, they didn't have any exceptional people, unlike us, who seem to have several exceptional people. Um, So he says, I want you to consider your calling. So who are you? How important are you? As he writes to Corinth, he says, there were not many who were wise, there were not many who were powerful, there were not many who had a noble birth or you know, were royalty or anything like that. They were just normal, ordinary people. Uh, and when you look at that and you start thinking about that, well, that's really a lot of times what happens, is this normal, ordinary people. And God says, or Paul says, God chose what is foolish to shame the wise, what is weak to shame the strong. And so the things that we would normally think of, of education and knowledge and power, that those are the things that make the world go round, that those are the things that make all the difference. He says, God didn't recognize those things as if those things are most important. But he chose what's low and even sometimes things that don't exist yet to bring about things. And things that are seem so strong and so wise and so smart and he, he's able to take those completely away. So that we realize that we don't boast before God. There's nothing about us. And that Jesus is really the wisdom of God. Jesus is the one who's righteous and holy and He is the one who's able to do all of these things. And he's chosen us as ordinary people. We're the guys who show up, who don't have any real skill or ability, but we'll show up. And that's the main thing that we do. But then we're gifted by God, and God is able then to make all that difference for his purpose. And obviously there were many people who were gifted, who were talented. And so when you look through the Bible and you look at people, you think about Paul. He was one of those people who was very intelligent, very smart. He was very learned in the law. He knew all kinds of things about the law. He had been to school. He was a teacher in the school. He teaches in the the school of Tyrannus. He is a college professor, if you will. He's the guy who has all of this intelligence. And so don't think there aren't any like that. Moses is an amazing leader. He doesn't think he is, but he is. 
When you go back and look through all the different things that he did and the way he was able to set up this huge mass of people who didn't want to go, I mean, just think of trying to get your family to go somewhere, and there's two million of them. It's, it's a lot harder to get them all in the car at the same time. And so, you know, Moses is an incredible leader, but it's because of God that really makes all the difference. But Moses, again, was trained in the best schools in Egypt. He was chosen before he was born. He was the one who thought he was set in line for God. And by the time he was 40, he had it all figured out. And usually for us even, by the time we're 40, we have it all figured out. It's after that you realize that, you know, there's more to be learned. But God works miracles. God protects his life. God does amazing things. Nehemiah is another one that is, we don't know as much about his background, but he is chosen to be the cupbearer to the king. And the king of a foreign country trusts him so much that he is able to send him back to rebuild the walls of a different country and come back. Really? Would you come back? But he says, it's okay. How long is it going to take you? I need to know when to expect you back. And and he does. And he comes back to be the the servant, the cupbearer of the king. And so here he is. He's able to do some incredible things that nobody else has been able to do in that whole time. Joseph is another one. He rises to the second command in Egypt. He thought he was special, and then there's lots of bumpy places in his life. But he's amazing. How do you solve world hunger? Ask Joseph. Because he does. With one of the most advanced nations of their time, he learns and figures out how to save the world, basically. How do you solve that? And we still struggle with things like that. And if that's not enough, then there are prophets and kings and mighty men and warriors and they're leading nations. They're winning battles. There's mighty acts of valor. They're killing giants. They're building arcs. And then there's us. Not so wise, not so smart, not so noble, not really a leader, no great ability. Well, what did they do with that? Who are those people? Why would God even want those people? What do you call those people? You call them disciples. Because, yes, there are the superheroes, and I'm glad we have so many of them here. But there's a whole lot of the rest of us that are just disciples. Because he didn't really give us any great ability to do things, but... He did give us a place. We're followers. We follow someone great. We follow Jesus, and we have a message of Jesus, a gospel of grace, and it's so incredible to see that. And as you look at the conflict that they have, he's going, you know what, if you just understood that this is what it's about, it would solve most of that. So I want to tell you a story, and this is about Peter and John. And uh, they had been on their way to the temple one day, and there is a 
lame man who's laying there by the gate. He is always by the gate. He's been there for years and years and years. They've walked by him. Everybody's seen him. I don't know if we recognize that, but, you know, he's been there the whole time, and we don't really notice him anymore. And for some reason, Peter, in Acts chapter 3, notices him and says, you know, he's asking for money, of course. And you know how it is when you see people asking for money. It's like, huh? <laughs> you, you just kind of ignore that person. You don't see him because you know if you make eye contact, you got to give them something. I don't know if you guys are like this or not, but we all just kind of look away. No, I don't. And it seems like that's what they had done this whole time. And yeah, we know he's over there. But we're not really going to recognize. And Peter finally just looks straight at him and he's like, I see you and I don't have any money for you. But I'll give you what I have. And he almost has to reach down and pull him to get him up. And he heals him. And he's jumping and leaping, and well, I would be too. I mean, this is great. He's been healed. And so he begins to talk about, because everybody comes around, the resurrection of Jesus and how Jesus did this, and this is all part of what Jesus does. And, of course, the rulers in the, of the people don't like this. And so in chapter 4 of Acts, it says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So here you have Peter and John. The rulers really don't care. They're just an annoyance. They're causing a problem. There's too many people out. There's, they're talking something about Jesus, something about resurrection. Uh, we don't have that in our part, and we don't believe that anyway. And so it's already late. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to take care of it. Let's just put them in jail. And so they do because they don't want to deal with it. There's no respect for them. There's no consideration for them. Uh, they're just a problem. And so they figure out how to deal with it. They don't believe all this. But some people are listening. Some people are hearing it. And because of a miracle and because of what they're talking about, it says the, the number of people grew, and now it's up to 5,000. There were 3,000 on Pentecost. And so, well, that's huge. I mean, if you understand anything about moving people and trying to get more to join and trying to get... Well, you know, this is probably a fairly short time, and now you're up to 5,000. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing, because it's all those ordinary people who believe. And so they decide they're going to call them, and so it says on the next day, their rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, who were all of the high priestly family. That's a lot of people. It says, who came? Rulers, elders, scribes, 
Okay, that's, that's pretty good already. And then Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John. And this is like the whole government. This is everybody who came. And why are they all there? Well, because this has been a problem, and so we're going to solve it. So the more dignitaries we can bring, the more we're going to be able to deal with this and solve this. And so they, they do bring them, and they have taken them out of jail. They bring them, and this, this assembly of people is all the power and wisdom and authority of the Jewish people. And then they ask them, and they should have known better, but they ask him this fatal question. They ask, what power or name or authority do you do this? Well, that's just an introduction for a sermon, if I've ever heard one. And so Peter just takes off and begins to talk to them about Jesus. Because that's what he'd been doing before. And so he just continues. Let me just tell you about Jesus. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He has given these words. And so he says, Jesus is the one who has done this. And he's the one who's raised this man. And Jesus is the one that you crucified and that God raised him from the dead and he's healed this man. He's the cornerstone of everything you've been looking for, the cornerstone of the Jewish nation, of the new church, and there is no other name for salvation. He is your Messiah. And they don't like that at all. And so the reaction in verse 13, this is when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This is such an amazing verse. As you look at this, the boldness of Peter and John, they're not used to that. And they look at them and they go, these guys are not smart. I don't know how you look or if people ever think that about you and uh, just automatically put you in, okay, this guy's not smart. This guy's not intelligent. He's not wise. He doesn't have a whole lot going for him. I don't know if they do that to you or not and put you in that kind of category. But they did that with Peter and John. Well, they're probably right. They didn't finish the rabbinical school. I mean, they're fishermen. And so that's what they've been doing. They've been away fishing, and that's all they knew. And they were taking over the business from dad. And so they know about fishing. What do they know about rulers and authorities and priests and all of this? And here he is proclaiming this gospel, this doctrine about Jewish law and about their own Messiah, and about resurrection. And they're like, well, these are, these guys didn't even go to college. These guys barely made it out of junior high. So they're uneducated, and they're common men. They're not smart. There's no schooling. They don't hold an office. They're not priests. They don't have any power or backing. They don't have any money. You already told the guy, I don't have any money to give you. Right? And then he's going to raise him up. And so I guess that counts for a lot. So how do you explain it? How do you do that? This is well, they recognize that they'd been with Jesus. 
there's the problem or there's the solution. He can take someone who doesn't have this education and that is a common man and make them bold to speak in the name of God. They didn't really have money. And the, the priests say, well, we can't really take you seriously. But they've been with Jesus. They did have one thing. It is really hard to ignore the fact that this lame man that they had walked by all the time is standing right there beside them. Standing right there beside them. Not sitting on the floor, not laying down. Did he go to jail with them? You know, it kind of looks like that. He just got caught up in this whole thing. It's a little bit difficult to tell. It doesn't say whether they just took Peter and John or they've come back and now he's standing there with them, whether he's arrested with them. And, okay, this is great for a first night. Here we are. And so they all knew this. They all understood this. They have to take counsel. They have to figure out what they're going to say about this, what they're going to do about this, because, well, that's the guy. I mean, right? You know, the guy that we walk by, don't want to look at him, but everybody knows he's there. Everybody knows he's been begging all this time. And, you know, the one we never made eye contact with, of course, we all know what he looks like. But he's the guy. And so even if they don't give any credibility to anybody else, he's the guy. And how do we explain that? Well, it's a great miracle. How do we, how do we go against that? We've seen him at the temple. He's been sitting at the same place outside the gate. He's been there for years. And if we can't explain it, we're going to make it go away. Really. And so they try to threaten them. They tell them, I don't want you to speak about Jesus. I don't want you to speak in the name of Jesus. And so that's what it says in Acts 4 and verse 18. So they call them and they charge them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man upon whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Yeah, that's not ordinary. That's not ordinary at all. That's way beyond ordinary. That you're going to talk back to the rulers, you're going to talk back to the elders, you're going to talk back to Annas and Caiaphas and, and the high priest and all of the family. Every ruling part of Israel is sitting in the room and you're the fisherman that's going to straighten them out. And Peter says, yes, I am. whether it's right or not. So he gives them some room, whether it's right or not, to listen to you or to listen to God. We have to speak about what we have seen and heard. 
because we did see it and we did hear it and we know that it's real and we are disciples. That's the ordinary. That's the guy who saw it and heard him speak and the boldness is not from them, the boldness is from God. Four years ago, these guys were fishermen sitting by the lake, mending their net, a little bit stinky, you know, because all the fish around, and so here they are. And now they've been given a gift of healing, and now they've learned about the gospel, and now they know about Jesus and know him very personally, and they know about his resurrection, and they know that there's salvation and no one else, and they know they have to speak. They've learned a lot. They are common, ordinary people. Carmen, ordinary people who have seen a dead man walking. Ordinary men who get thrown in jail. Ordinary men who walk on water. Well, but they were just following Jesus. I mean, after all, he was out there. Ordinary men who preached on Pentecost. And 3,000 come to God. None of the rulers had done that. Ordinary men who taught thousands in the temple courts. And now there's 5,000 people who believe and there's more all the time. And their ordinary church with ordinary men is going to change the world. People were attracted to the miracles, to the signs, until they met the guy who did them. And he is much more impressive than that. Salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. As Peter would think about this years later, he would remember all the times that they had, the time when they stood there in the council. And he was like, no, I have to speak. I have to say something. And so as Peter writes many years later, he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Ordinary people and I suspect that's what we have with those others that raise their hand. They're a chosen race. They're a royal priesthood, more royal than any of the people who had been in that room. They are a holy nation, which they had been supposed to be the whole time, but not really. They're a people for God's own possession. They are royalty. They proclaim the excellencies of God. They call out of 
darkness, and they are light, marvelous light. Once we were nobody, now we belong. We are people of God. Once we had no mercy, now we've received mercy. Does that sound like ordinary people? Yeah, but, man, a lot's happened to them. That's incredible, isn't it? Ordinary people blessed by God are so much better than the rest of the talented, smart in the world. What an incredible thing it is. And as Paul writes to a church in Corinth about all the problems they're having, he says, you don't realize what you've got if you would just learn to act like this, if you would just learn about the mercy of God and about your being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you've come into this faith that is so far beyond anything else. And if Peter were here, he would, he would tell you about Jesus. That's what he does, isn't it? And tell you that you need to follow him. Because he was put to death by rulers, by the smart people, by the powerful people. In fact, by all the people that were in the room when Peter was talking. He was put to death by the ones who threatened but don't believe anything. But Jesus was raised up by the power of God. And Peter told them all to follow Jesus. To learn about Jesus, to repent and to be baptized into Jesus. And that's how you contact the blood of Christ. And that same thing is true for us today. And so ordinary people with ordinary problems can be holy people, can be a holy nation, can be chosen by God, can have this grace, can have this relationship, because that's what it takes for us to do that. We can be redeemed in Him. Is that ordinary? I don't think so. But it's not necessarily because of our ability that ordinary people can be redeemed and glorious and holy because of what God does. So what does God expect out of ordinary people? Well, as Paul writes to Corinth, he tells him, you're just an ordinary people, you're just ordinary church, but you know what he's really trying to say is God's church is made up of ordinary people empowered by His Spirit to do amazing things. And as he writes back in 2 Corinthians, it's so much different. Things beyond their talent, things beyond their ability. And so maybe it's time that we stood up for Jesus as well and let him work through us if we just follow him. I'm glad we've got 15 who understand what God does in their life. I hope all the rest of you ordinary people realize what an amazing thing God has done that we can be this holy nation, that we can be this people who follows Him if we just walk through Him and just work through Him. What an incredible thing it is that God has for us to do. And so maybe you need to respond if you're feeling today like, well, you know, I'm just an ordinary person and a bad one at that. I mean, maybe I'm not even up to ordinary. God has a way to, for you to be blessed. If you'll come, we want to talk. Find that blessing of God. Come while we stand and sing.